0: I would probably say that Valley Bible is my church away from home (laughs) you always look for a home away from home but Valley Bible would be that for me if Ann and I lived anywhere in the Bay Area this is where we would come uh, for the music and for the preaching and for the fellowship we were watching with enthusiasm the choir and your director Deborah that I've seen grow up through the years and Ann said look at her feet and she was doing that little (laughs) whatever she calls it in directing I said Ann if she were doing the doxology that's exactly the way she'd be leading the doxology Uh, Larry Howard If you're here and if you're not, send a representative. I need a commitment card for your investing in the future. You convicted me, Nick, and I want to fill out a commitment card before I leave, as some of you will be given the opportunity to do in the very new future. Now, that's not a jest. Uh, That's not a joke. That's a very serious commitment. Uh, I'm going to speak to you this morning (coughs) on money but not about money I want to speak to you this morning about life I've been young now I'm old Ann and I celebrated birthdays in January mine is the 11th hers is the 15th I turned 80 she turned seventy-nine. If we live to be till August 30th this year, we will celebrate sixty years of marriage. We have been in the ministry together fifty-nine of those sixty years. I've been young like this couple over here, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The scripture before that says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, because the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Anna and I met at a Christian camp. She was just coming out of grade school, in, uh, out of junior high school into high school. And I was in my sophomore year at high school. The first day that I saw Anne, I said to the young man who was my uh, companion at church camp, by the way, she was from one city, I from another, she from one church, I from another. I said to the young man we were walking with when I saw her, I'm going to marry that girl someday. I'd never met her. We dated as teenagers can and do at camp. After camp, she went to her home, I went to mine, her church, my church. We never saw each other for three years. Getting ready to go to college, my mother said to me, Robert, before you leave to go to Baylor, you have to clean out your closet. And so I laboriously began to go through my closet, throwing away what I could, looking at some of the things that I was interested in, and found a little book. That I opened, and there was Ann Childers' name with a telephone number. And I reflected back and I said, Hey, I'm just gonna call, which I did, reintroduce myself, and said, You know, could we get together before I leave for school? She agreed. What she did not tell me was that she was going more than regularly, pretty steady with a guy who happened to be out of town for a week. And I said, providence of God. No, I didn't. We began to date, and the end result is what I have said earlier. 60 years this August. Our ministry has been varied in sundry God has used us in different kinds of ways. I pastored the Grace Temple Baptist Church in Denton for nine years. It was a growing church across the street from one of two universities, and many of the professors and many of the students attended the church. It was at its strongest that it had been in its history. We had just built a fellowship hall and had the drawings for a new sanctuary on the board. A woman had given us a million dollars toward building that building. I felt impressed of God over a period of time that I needed to leave. When I said to the deacons I was going to leave, they said, no, no, Robert. Church is where it's never been. You've misunderstood. And I said, no, I'm not sure. I'm not certain. But God is doing something in our lives. Over a period of about six months, we had 10 or 12 pulpit search committees come. Now, that's a committee from a church that's looking for a pastor. And they were churches that, under ordinary circumstances, I would have been interested in. But those that we had interaction with, for some reason, either myself or them, it just wasn't a fit. I was able to say to Ann, and particularly our children, we have three, two boys and a girl, God's going to move us in ministry, but we're not going to another pastor. I did not understand all that meant, but it enabled us together as a family to begin to pray and prepare. I was invited by the largest child care organization in the world to come as executive vice president. First of all, I had been invited to join them as trustees. A trustee. It was a hundred years old, started in the Civil War by a Baptist preacher who came across the southern part of the United States collecting orphans, literally, that had been left by the war. His name was Robert Buckner, and he came into the Dallas area and he bought land just as far as he could see. Built this world renowned at the time children's home called Buckner's Orphan's Home to start with. They invited me to come and I was the first pastor they would ever had in their hundred years as a trustee. I went, had not been there long until they put me on a committee to do an assessment of the past of the president and responsibilities hoping to revamp the administrative style and position. On that committee, we started trying to put a job description together. After two or three meetings, I said to, fella, to, to the other trustees, fellows, we're going about this in the wrong way. You've got a man who's been president here for 25 years. When you start taking things away from him, and arbitrarily assigning them to somebody else, you're going to create a problem. If he's not willing to turn loose, you're going to put the fellow who is under him in an untenable position. Let me suggest to you that we reverse the process. Let's find the fellow who has the temperament and the ability to just follow this man around for a long period of time two years and every time the president turns something loose and gives it to this fella as a responsibility and assignment write it down and that will eventually be the job description the president will be writing it the young man will be embracing it and fulfilling it and all will go well ten days later or so I get a call from the chairman of the committee, and said, Robert, we had a meeting last week without you, and we've decided you're the fellow we would like to have as that person. (laughs) Well, it filled in the gap. Obviously not going to the pastorate. This was the first door that God seemed to have opened, and we prayed and embraced it and went. I was overseeing a multi-million dollar budget, We had 13 different facility locations in the state of Texas, had a private plane and a private pilot, and I would leave, fly out of Dallas to each of these places periodically, do the work I needed to do, and fly back home. I was also preaching. When I resigned the church, they asked me to stay as interim, and I said, that'll never work. I won't do that. They said, would you promise us that you will not move your church membership somewhere else? Some of our people won't understand if you go to another church here in town. Would you just leave your membership here because your daughter is in our youth group and a key factor in our youth group? And I said, yes, I'll stay until the pastor comes and I'll give him the opportunity to make the decision whether Anna and I stay as members. The new pastor came, asked us after a period of time if we'd stay, we did, things worked well. But I began to preach all around the city of Dallas. In addition to weekly preaching, a couple of times I was interim pastor of a church looking for a pastor. We would come in on a Monday morning and somebody would sit, we had 50 people meeting for a staff meeting on every Sunday morning. Uh, Monday morning, somebody would say, Robert, I heard you preach yesterday, would you please explain what you meant here, or here, or here, whatever. Soon after that, the president said to me, Robert, you can't preach anymore. You need to be 24 hours on the clock, you cannot have any more preaching assignments." The problem was there was a conflict, a personality conflict, obviously. He didn't preach much, though he was a former pastor. I said to him after a while, I cannot stop preaching. But let me ask you a question. Are you happy with what's happening? And he said, no, Robert. He said, I wasn't a part of the decision. The trustees decided to do this. And it wasn't my idea, and no, I'm not happy. I said, well, sir, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write out my resignation for you today. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to leave at the end of this next, whatever it was to make up the two-year period of time. Nobody but you and me will know about this because I'm just going to write my report back to the trustees, but you know from this day on that I'm not going to be in your future. I did that. We left. And lo and behold, the wheels came off. All of the preaching engagements that I had had in the past stopped. In fact, I would have a pastor call me and say, would you preach for me at such and such a date? And three or four days before it was time for me to fulfill that engagement, he'd call and say, Robert, I need to cancel for some reason or another. And then no calls here or there. Well, after we lived through the little bit of severance pay they gave us, we started living off our savings. And when we had exhausted the savings that we had accumulated, we started cashing in our retirement. Now in this process, when God was moving us, I had been studying very seriously in my personal Bible study, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And I became enamored, fascinated, challenged, I don't know what, by that book. It says very simply in the sixth verse, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so I began to do character studies of each one of the heroes of faith, the characters that were there. I began to read men of faith such as Robert uh, Mueller, not Robert, George Mueller men who had lived totally and completely by faith, and in, I say, a moment of laxness, I said to God, I want to know what it's like to live the kind of life these men lived in the Scripture. Now then, I had prayed that at an earlier time. At the same time, I had read this scripture. Proverbs 30 and verse 7 says, Lord, two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lives far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. And I ran quickly to the sixth chapter of Matthew when the men asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And in the middle of his teaching, he said, pray, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. And I went to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthews, and Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything. For the heathen are anxious about these things, what you eat what you drink, wherewith you are clothed. God knows that you have these needs. You seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. So that was my prayer. But it's kind of like praying the prayer, God, give me patience now. The job ended the savings were gone. The retirement had exhausted itself and I couldn't find work anywhere. I was overqualified for everything I tried to do except electronics and I was so underqualified I couldn't even fill out an application in some places. It didn't make sense to me because I had been in high school I had gotten my CDL and I used to drive a big truck over Uh, land, place to place, and I thought anybody can get a job driving truck if they've got a license and a good, I couldn't get work anywhere. To complicate things, we had two kids in college and one in high school. One of our sons, the youngest, came home one day and said, Dad, a friend of mine's dad was just asked to leave the church he pastors, And there's a fundraising company that hired him, and Dad, I know that if they hired him, they would hire you. (laughs) Now that's a vote of confidence, isn't it? (laughs) So out of respect for my son Ricky, I said, I'll check out. That afternoon I made a call, got hold of the vice president of the company, made an appointment in a couple of days to go to work uh, or to come in for an interview. When he read my resume and talked with me a few minutes, he said, excuse me, and he went into the office of the president, stayed about 10 minutes, came out, and said, would you come in, please? I went in, and the two of them began to, to uh, interview, grill, or ask, read the resume. The president held up my resume, and he said, where in the world have you been? I've been looking for you as long as I can remember, so he hired me right on the ground level, but during that period of time, when I had been at Buckner, I had gone to seminars, I had taken some courses, extension courses, in management, in finances, and had almost the equivalent of an MBA reading list. Now, I went to work, this was on a Thursday in I think he said, Saturday, can you be at the airport at such and such a time? And when you get there, you look for a guy that has a hat on or a tie of some kind. That'll be your trainer. I went to the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and met Tom Stogsdale. We got on a plane, flew to San Francisco, got in a rental car, went to Napa, and for the first time of my being in this part of California, went to the First Assembly of God Church in Napa and started work. I went through the organization faster than anybody in the past or since. Within less than six months I had gone from the novice to the place that I had four men working under my leadership as a team. But in working there it became apparent to me that this was not where God wanted me because there's some things done in professional fundraising that I'm not comfortable with and I went to the president and I said I can't do this we've got to change because I won't make promises to churches that we can't fulfill I won't lead them to believe something that more than likely if it happens it'll be by accident as opposed and he said we're not going to change at all so I left and went into the ministry that I had. Then all of a sudden, things began to be clear. I was in preparation for something I had no idea. I was learning finances so I could talk to an Elton Fox and other men who know business that many pastors and staff members do not know. I could hear the objections of people who were concerned about how finances were going to be raised and how they were going to be used thinking that this would be applicable to me as executive vice president then I was learning in that process and so it was we left and started Robert Richardson ministries and have been from that day till now been active there now, since nineteen hundred and eighty two I've never worked for an- organization that paid me a check. I have worked only as it were by faith, many of you are the same way if you're a salesperson, you know that that's it certain aspect to that. Consequently, I had no benefits. I had no retirement that I was not able to provide myself. Those are just statements of fact, nothing more than that. But God had said, he that comes to me must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently trust him it's a matter of trust I went to the book of Malachi because everywhere you go somebody wants to know something about tithing and so I studied and restudied and studied again you're robbing me why are we robbing you because you're withholding the tithe that's what God said to the children of Israel as they interacted. God says the solution is bring all the tithes into the storehouse And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out on you blessings that you cannot hold or contain. I had a theological professor who used to say, young men, when you interpret scripture, be careful that you do not put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Be careful that you do not put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable and that's what many people do in malachi 3:10. the emphasis is not on bringing the tithe first the emphasis is on proving god bring the tithe and prove me now it's the only place in scripture that not only are we encouraged it's the only place in scripture we're not prohibited to test god God said, put me to the test. Do you believe? Let me see your pocketbook and your checkbook. You let me have your checkbook for 30 minutes, and I'll tell you where you are in your spiritual walk. Prove me now. Herewith. We had an elderly woman in the church at Grace Temple. Lived to be 100 almost. Anne is just one of the best mothers that you'd ever find anywhere, but she has a tendency to mother anybody that will let her. So she was mothering this hundred-year-old lady from the time she was in her late 90s. She had a daughter who lived out of town in another place, a successful daughter. The woman died. I preached her funeral. A little while after the funeral, we get a telephone call. And she comes and says, My mother left enough money in her will for Ann to have a new car. And you can have any kind of car you want, doesn't matter, whatever it is. And the way that Ann determined what kind of car she was going to buy was she had to have one that would have three car seats in the back. It could have been a wagon a tractor, she didn't care, but she had three grandbabies that she wanted to have. And so for the first time in our life, she, we, drove a Lincoln Continental. That was the only car on the market at that time with a wide enough back seat that you could get three car seats in. Not only did she get the new car, but the lady said, you can have a new car year after year until I die. Now, the lady didn't buy new cars every year, she bought them every other year, whether she needed it or not. And what she would do, she'd get Ann when she was ready to go get her car and take Ann if she wanted to go get another car. And in addition to that, she'd take her car, sometimes with less than 50,000 miles on it over a two-year period of time, and ask the, trade in, the, the dealer what the trade-in value would be, and sell the car to me for what they were going to give her as a trade-in. So God took care of our transportation. When she died, our daughter Kathy had been involved in her life in the same, way, same kind of way that Anne had been involved with her mother. When she died, she left... Kathy, in her will, money to buy her a new home and enough money for Anne to pay off the mortgage of our home. And she said, I'm not leaving anything to Robert because he'll give it all away. (laughs) She was facetiously facetiously serious, (laughs) let me tell you. My God shall supply all of your needs, not wants, not wishes, not unholy desires. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Anne and her mother had loaned a close friend of ours a considerable amount of money. He was an entrepreneur and an investor and had promised them one of these too-good-to-be-true deals, which was (laughs) too-good-to-be-true. lost everything that he had, would come to us either by phone or in person or by letter. I don't have it now, but I'll have it soon. And he died without ever getting to soon. And so we just wrote off the fact that we would ever see that money again. God called us four year, five years ago to Columbia to do mission work. A whole new story. When we got to Columbia, we found out that he wanted us to invest some time, some money, and our life in this particular area. We've been there 10, y- 10 times. We're going back this summer. When we began to figure out what needed to be done, we didn't have money. A letter comes in the mail one day from the daughter. Of this man she never knew what we had done and her mother had done for her dad but we had been friends and she had seen us and we had seen her but her husband had died and she had asked if we would come and do her funeral which I did went to Minneapolis Minnesota A few days later I get a letter and in that letter is a check for the exact amount of money That her dad had taken from Anne and her mother and the note from Wanda was this Robert I have no idea why I am sending this amount of money but when I got the insurance from and she called her husband's name God said to me emphatically send this amount of money to Robert and Ann. And so we were able to do in Columbia what needed to be done. My God shall supply all of your needs. But it is a matter of trust. Somewhere in this, another project in Columbia and some other things that needed to be done, our daughter, Kathy, is a single mom. After 20 plus years of marriage, Ten years ago, her husband left her to go into a homosexual gay lifestyle. Left her with three daughters. And so we've kind of become the surrogate parents of those kids in addition to being grandparents. And we have been in a position that many of you are in of having the opportunity of providing financially for things they need as God provides for us. We had a need. Ann gets a telephone call from a cousin of hers saying, Ann, I'm going to send you some papers that I need for you to sign. And When the papers came, they were papers that were granting an oil land lease to an oil company in East Texas. Unbeknown to us, Ann particularly, or to her cousin, or four other cousins, there's six of them, years ago, one of their relatives had owned a large parcel of land in East Texas. And wisdom then prevailed even to now. When he had sold that land, he retained the mineral rights. And some 50 or 60, 80 years ago, it began to funnel down. They never drilled. Nothing ever happened. Came to her grandmother, came to her dad, and then came to her. And so, we, she signed the papers, sent them back in, and we began to get money. Depending on what the price of oil was and is, how many wells they decided to drill, Initially, there was a large amount that happened to meet the need that was pressing at the time that the lease was signed. Then it dried up to where we were getting $30 or $40 from each one of the wells. Recently, there was another need that we had, and we were praying as we did. And the next month, one of the oil companies sent a multi-thousand dollar check. You see, God doesn't waste time, and he doesn't do excess. He never said, I'm going to give you a bunch. He didn't say that I'm going to give you an unusual amount on and on. He didn't say, I'm going to give you some to play with. I'm going to meet your need. So when the need is met, then the well dries up. But so what? I've been young, and now I'm old. Nick and Kelly are looking forward. Ann and I are looking backwards. All of your tomorrows will someday be your yesterdays. Listen again. I was young, and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They're always generous and then freely, and their children will be a blessing. Our three kids learn stewardship along with us. Ann and I never had a problem tithing from the time we married. In fact, we learned pretty quickly that the tithe was the floor and not the ceiling. And that somewhere between the floor and the ceiling, there was an opportunity for investing in offerings, in causes, or whatever else. And our children learned that. We told you about Kathy. She's a school teacher, but she doesn't have to worry about having a place to live. Because through the gracious goodness of Sue and the provision of an almighty God, she has that. We have two sons. One of them is in the restaurant business as owner and owns 30 something restaurants between Texas and the East Coast, Arkansas, Tennessee, South Carolina. He and a uh, partner. Our other son, is president of TGI Friday's Food Corporation. I'm not trying to persuade you to do anything other than to discover the life that God desires to give his children. And part of that is the joy of being able to participate in building a building like I remember the desperation of sitting in the fireside room over there and being asked if we can raise $75,000. I laughingly said to Phil, yesterday's a long way from 75000 to $5 million. It's a step of faith.